Excellent, excellent. Yep, it's kind of funny. I've been asking this question lately, and I know perhaps you have been maybe asking this, the same question, especially as we have gone through challenging times over the last couple of years, and sometimes I just get to that point where I ask myself the question, are we doing this church thing correctly? You ever ask that question? Are we kind of doing this church thing right? You know, have we kind of created this kind of system that, that we think is very godly, when, when we get to it, God is saying, well, that's not really what I want. You know, are, are, we, are we getting to the point where the priority that we have isn't the same as the priority that God has? Or maybe even more important, is, is the verbal priority I have the same as the heart priority that I have? Is God calling us back to authentically love people, starting with each other? And that's an important thing as we get talking today about Micah chapter 6, um, verse, verse 8. This is kind of a morning, and I always take a time in September, and I take a time in January. I just call it like a, a vision-casting um, Sunday, and, and uh, just, you know, a day that we dedicate to remind us why we are here and where we are going and how we get here. And I believe that every church's mission is the same. Uh, I think we're all called to the same thing, and it's kind of grounded in a number of things. It's grounded in what we will call the Great Commission, which is the last thing that Jesus uh, says in Matthew chapter 28. He says, going into all the world, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's also what we call the Great Commandment. That's found in Matthew chapter 22, where, where Jesus is talking. He says, you know, everything is kind of round up with two, the two greatest commandments. is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, everything else will fall in place is basically what Jesus said. And today what I want to talk about is what I will call the great com commitment. And um, we try to convey this vision this idea, and we kind of use the, a play on the word uh, Bethel. Like Bethel says, be the, and then there's the letter L. And so we said, we want to be the light. We want to be the love. We want to be the life. We want to be the link. We want to be able to be Christ and to be able to present the gospel in a way which is tangible for people to take in. And to do that, I find that our times have changed and um, we want to represent everything that that is. And I find that the way we do it now is, is that in terms of thinking of reaching people, we almost have to think about building bridges. That, that there is a way that we can, can somehow minister and work so that we can create opportunities to let our community know that we love them. In the day that... The church is not so much trusted like it was before to convince our city that we genuinely love and care for them. And I remember asking myself, God, how do I cross the bridge where there's a gap between the church and the world? Do you kind of understand that? There's a bit of a gap between where we are as Christians and, and where the world is. And I'm saying, God, how do I cross that bridge? And as I prayed over this and as I asked God to give me some wisdom... I come to the realization that there really is no bridge. Like, how do, I, how do I cross a bridge to try and reach our community and reach our world and reach lost people if there's no bridge to be had? 
If you're going to be able to cross the bridge, you first have to build the bridge. And I think that that's an important thing for us to understand today as we think about reaching people. And it just takes a little time to invite people to Christ. Not like we used to. It takes time and repetitious acts of genuine love and care until they are won by our ways over than being won by our words. It's not to say that we don't use our words. So that's why we adopted the statement that we want to be a church in our community for our community. That becomes an important thing. And, and, and we just try and do everything that we can to do that. We seek a family atmosphere. We seek to grow through the Word of God. We try to give people the opportunity to grow together and to utilize their gifts. Come to the realization, and this has always been a value of Bethel even before I was here as the assistant pastor over 25 years ago. I think this church always sought to be a multi-generational church, to be able to minister to everyone. I think we're quickly seeing that God is calling us to be a multicultural church. And the times have required that we become a multifaceted church, to use whatever way that we can to reach people. Kind of why we started uh, our online ministry a couple of years ago, and and now we have started with the podcast, thanks to uh, Pastor Logan, uh, getting our podcast ministry started. If you haven't heard the podcast, it's called Forgiven. Look it up. It's on, it is on Spotify and on a number of things. And uh, it is 140th in religious podcasts. So I have told Logan, listen, if you want to keep your job, you need to get under 100 by then. No. If you take the opportunity, uh, listen to it. And... And it's just our way of helping new Christians and even old Christians to incrementally grow, to slowly walk with him. Chances are when you leave this place, if you're at a 30 out of 100 in your walk, by the time you get out of here, you're not going to be a 95. But if I can get you to a 31, I think that's the progress that God is wanting. He's wanting us to grow together in him. This is just one way, and and ministry online is becoming something which is very much a reality. Uh, we very much are looking at how we can help people with emotional health. Uh, just recently, I've had com- uh, conversations with uh, Charmaine Aby, who is, a, who is a counselor in the city and also comes to the church. And we began talking about the fact that it's important to learn strategies on how to be emotionally healthy. And uh, so she has agreed Uh, to put together a course for us in October. And so we're going to uh, expound on that a little bit more next week as that happens. And I'm sure that you're wanting to do that. And maybe you have friends who are outside of the church who are kind of in uh, that situation where they just need some help trying to figure things out in terms of their emotional health. And that's such a big thing. And, And again, it's a bridge that we build to somehow reach out to our community. Other bridge builders is what I'll call them. Uh, we started the rink last year. We would kind of like to see if we can, can continue that ministry so that we can provide something for the community. The other thing that we have looked at is the fact that Meals on Wheels was dis, uh, discontinued, and we began to say, maybe there's a need in the community for us to do that. We have a, we have a, a, a kitchen which is, which is a qualified commercial kitchen. Maybe that's something that we can do. We're looking into the possibility, if that is a need, somehow to reach our community Take a look at the professional development days and, and maybe we can, as a church, be able to provide something for our community to take care of kids while parents work on the professional development days. 
we, we, we took a, a look at the fact of, of maybe starting a, uh, an addictions group, which is called Celebrate Recovery, which is kind of a Christian Alcoholics Anonymous or a Christian um, Habits uh, Anonymous. And we're just taking a look at the possibility, the inroads of being able to do that. We're taking a look at maybe doing a, a reading help for, for multicultural people who are in our community. And we're just, we're at the stepping stones of saying, so how do we really build those bridges? Whatever authentic things that we can do to express love, no strings attached. It's all this. We're only doing this because we love you. No other agenda other than the fact that, that the DNA of our faith tells us that we need to love you. Whether you come to our church all the time or not, doesn't matter. What we need to do is to just authentically love people. Makes sense, doesn't it? To be able to do that. We're also, we're also in the works of creating four different events for our community during the year that will just bless people. In, in uh, the end of October, we have been doing the fall fair. Uh, we did the world's or the city's biggest water fight. We want to do something at Easter. We want to do four events where all we are doing is opening our doors to the community and serving them and saying, we love you. We're not going to hand you a track. We're just going to show you that we love you. And just continue to do acts. It's great to see Ukrainian family that is, that is here. And, and our request is not that they pay us anything back. Our request is that we can do something to love people. To just authentically say, listen, we love you. We care for you. Well, how much do you owe me? We owe us absolutely nothing. Because that's what being a Christian is about. To just act out in love. Do things in love. And of course, we're continuing to put a large part of our budget into our missionaries. And if you don't know who our missionaries are, who we support in prayer or we support financially, just go as you leave there. You'll see a bunch of pictures with a picture of the world. And, and that kind of tells you of all the things that we support as a church. We don't want to be an introverted church, do we? We want to be able to go out and somehow make a difference. You know, I, I remember just... If I go to all these conferences or whatever, they talked about the fact that we now live in what is called a post-Christian era. That when, for those of us who are old enough, we kind of remembered when you had the Lord's Prayer in the church. We don't have that anymore. We've become post-Christian. Each generation kind of takes us away from that kind of Christian undergirding that we had. But we have an additive to that. We now live in a post-Christian, post-COVID era whether we like it or not, that the pandemic has somehow changed us. We can do everything from home. You know, we can, we can, you know, we, we order our, our bikes and we exercise from home. We, we order our, our, uh, most of our clothes from Amazon or whatever. I don't do that. I always go to the store. Well, you know, the trend is going so that that is not going to end anytime soon. We order our food online. Everything we do now, we do online. And so what we have to do is take a look and recalibrate the ability to reach a church, whether it's in person or online or whatever way that we do it. The one thing is this, is that the gospel message doesn't change, but the way that we reach people oftentimes does. And God still moves amongst his people. And I'll just say this, you can't download a move of God, right? You can. And so we're trusting that God is going to somehow move. And so the big ask, the big request we have of you as we go forth 
is this. Will you help us build bridges that lead people to Jesus? Because in order to do some of these things, it will require more than the regular 25% to do that. So I think that there's an opportunity, and I'm trusting that as I kind of lay all of these things out, and there's lots of them, and there's things that we'd like to do, and I know that probably we won't, is that there's an opportunity to be able to get to know people, and there's an opportunity to be able to serve that will reach a world that desperately, desperately needs to know God. Amen? It won't be done without, without everyone. So let's talk about what I have called the great commitment and, and how I got to this. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to um, uh, Micah chapter 6. A minor prophet in the Old Testament, just kind of give you a clue. So it's kind of near the end of the Old Testament. If you have your Bible app, just type in Micah. It should go there. Micah chapter 6. Now, as I had this year particularly, I had general conference with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and I had a, a district and general conference, and I'm sitting there, and they're kind of rolling out their vision as to how they want churches to thrive, to be active in, in being the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so they said, we kind of have a threefold process. The first one is what we call the Great Commission. I said, yes, that's what I talk about all the time. Second one is the Great Commandment. I'm like, all right, I'm with you. This is kind of what I talk about. These two things are so important. And then the third they say is the great requirement. And I think that's wonderful, but come on. Commission, commandment. Can you not think of another word that kind of goes with the calm kind of thing, right? Commission, commandment, right? How about commitment instead of requirement? I know, I'm just... I'm an idiot when it comes to stuff like that. But what they had to say, I think, was important. I think it's extremely important to church, talk to the church today. And what it says is, what, this is what is required of you. So if you've get, gotten to that passage of Scripture, let me, let me read it to you. I'm sure that you probably have heard it if you've been in church any particular, for any length of time. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has shown you, O mortal... What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. Doesn't expand any further than that. To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. I always kind of like to read that um, the, the message version, which kind of uh, Eugene Peterson kind of adds a bit of a twist as he, as he knows the culture. He says, but, says, but he's always made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. This is crucial for our lives. And I think it's crucial for the life of a church to exemplify this. It's important because it's the thing that God says, this is the requirement of you. If you investigate um, the context of this particular passage of Scripture, a lot of us know the Scripture but never ever realize why it is there. What is happening is Micah kind of is taking a clever way of talking to the church and saying, you know, what you are kind of doing is different than what I would like you to do. And so um, he begins 
to frame it in the, in the fact of a, a legal thing which is taking place. In other words, God is launching a legal suit against Israel. It's kind of what it is. I'm suing you guys, is what, is what God is saying. I've kept my end of the bargain. You guys haven't kept your end of the bargain. And although you kind of think that you are being obedient, you're not. You're not doing the simple things. And so what happens, and this is regularly a thing that happens. What happens when we don't really want to do the things that God wants us to do? I think that there's three things that we see through the history of Israel and through our own lives as well. First thing we do is we become really obedient to the secondary issue. We become secondarily obedient. You know, it's kind of like when my mom always said, listen, can you clean up the basement? Everything gets thrown down there. Now it's a big mountain, a mess down in the basement. Will you clean the basement? I'm going to work. When I come home, the basement needs to be clean. And so I look in the basement, and the basement's a mess. So what I decide to do is clean my bedroom. Because it's kind of messy, but it's not as messy as the basement. And when my mom comes home, she will see that the basement is still dirty, but she will be impressed with the fact that my bedroom is clean. You ever done that? Secondary obedience. Or half obedience. I don't know if I totally want to go along with that, and I will do it until it is not difficult. But the moment that it becomes difficult, I will veer off and do something else. Secondary obedience and half obedience are kind of the similar, but they are a little bit different, aren't they? Or what they will do, and this is what was happening in, in Micah's day, is they, they will resort to ritual. I'll just offer more bulls. I will just have, instead of, instead of two sheep, I'm going, to, I'm going to sacrifice 200 sheep. God will certainly be impressed with the fact that instead of two sheep, I am sacrificing 200 sheep. We figure that somehow we can cover up the simple things that we don't want to do by ritual. And of course, we don't, um, we don't sacrifice sheep. We sing songs. Well, I'm not obedient, but if I sing a few more worship songs, if I can spend a little bit more time in praise and worship or whatever other way, somehow to keep myself from doing what I really need to do. I did a series a number of months ago. It was called Keep It Simple, Saint. And, and the, the primary thought in that is that complicated is what we resort to when we don't wish to do the simple. And so the great commitment is not something which is difficult to do or is not really hard to do. It is simple to do, but it can be difficult when we put it on. So if you give me a couple of minutes, just want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about what exactly is, is Micah talking about. And there's no rocket science attached to this. When we talk about the meaning, the meaning of, of what he is asking us to do, the first thing is this, to act justly. Like to create a world where people have equal opportunity to fully develop the gifts that God has placed within them. Justice makes us see people through God's eyes, basically. And I find I understand justice when I take myself in the place where I am a sinner, which is saved by grace. I don't take the high road many times when it comes to justice, but I all of a sudden begin to seek justice more. 
And what I begin to do is I begin to treat people with dignity and respect, whether they agree with me or not. To not try to stand by idly when people are treated unfairly, to stand for those who are oppressed or unable to stand for themselves, to stand for the abused and the poor and the disadvantages, to be, build a moral integrity that causes us to stand for what is right. That's what justice is. And the, and the key to the passage of Scripture here is that he says to act justly, not just have a good, just philosophy of life, not just think justly. He says to act justly, act justly, to take an active process in being just in your life and to love mercy. I like the word mercy. A lot of interpretations say kindness, but with mercy, there's that aspect that when you show mercy a person, you are actually giving kindness to them even though they will never ever be able to pay you back. And mercy is those times when it tangibly shows the love of Jesus. Historian Rodney Stark, when he talks about the history of the church and its explosion in the first 400, 400 years, says that Christianity's revolutionary, revolutionary emphasis on mercy was the main thing because it was unheard of in that day. Until Jesus' ministry, prior to Jesus, mercy was regarded as a character defect. I don't know if we really realize that now. And it says to walk humbly with your God. You've probably heard the quote that said this. Humbly, humility is not thinking less about yourselves. It is thinking less of yourself. And when we have a humble lifestyle, it is the fertile ground for God to move. And that's why there's so many places in Scripture. When it talks about humility, where it says that God resists the proud. God actually works against the proud. He gives grace to the humble. It's the fertile room for God to move. That's why 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. It's the first thing that it talks about. There's something about this thing which is called um, humility. Not only is there the meaning, there is the mystery. Why these three why is that the only requirement? Should there not be more? I think it's important to understand when we think about this, when we talk about the mystery, is that uh, they're common in their simplicity. That anybody can do these things. It's not like you have to have a degree. It's not like you have to have a certain level of intellect to be able to do these things. It's like three ingredients of a recipe with no substitutions. You know, they're common in their source. It, they work to make us more like God and to point to people. They're common in the fact that they lead us to see ourselves as people who need people, who need help, helping people who need help. Can I say that again? Basically, it leads us to see ourselves as people who need help, helping people who need help. That's what it does. They're all common that they are an external expression of a good heart inside. It is the outside being manifested by what's taking place on the inside and the motivation we ask ourselves the, the, the third thing which is the motivation which is this is that ultimately if you do these things God begins to take care of everything and all the things that we think that we need to do all the character traits and things that we think need to happen God is saying well no 
It's good that you're doing those things. It's wonderful. You'll, I'll eventually move despite that. What you need to do is you need to have the inside right. You need for God to move. That there's important things for us to have that, that are there. That you need to not only be an authentic person, but you need to do the right thing and you need to walk in the right way. And as I pondered all of this, the big question comes to me and to all of us is, am I that authentic person? Am I that person who's seeking to do the right thing? Am I walking in the right way? And every time I open up Christianity today and hear that pastor of a major church has kind of tripped up, and every time I see something happen and find out that the person who was doing this was a faithful churchgoer, I realize that there's a pressure that we need to live lives above reproach and and I think we will lament the fact that there's times when we trip up, but I know that I do. But if there's anything that this world is looking for, it is not some kind of thing that we have put together. This somehow show that we have produced, thinking if I put on the best show, then people will be happy with it. But what happens is we put on the best show and we enjoy it together while a world which is lost remains lost. If this world is looking for anything and if your neighbor is looking for anything and your workmate is looking for anything, it is, working, it is looking for someone who acts justly, who displays mercy and walks humbly with their God. Pretty simple, isn't it? Can't you give us one of those rocket science sermons? They're a little bit more interesting. As I was kind of preparing, I realized that it's September the 11th today. 21 years ago, 9-11 happened. Remember that? Perhaps you kind of remember that event where an airplane flew into the Twin Towers in New York City and 2,977 people were killed and 19 hijackers committed murder, suicide, and more than 25,000 others were injured and millions of lives were changed. 2001. Can I just say, as, as I, I looked over that, I asked, what was happening in 2001? Well, in 2001, we'd never heard of Facebook. we never heard of Amazon. We never heard of Netflix. YouTube didn't exist. I didn't have a Kindle. It would be five years for the first iPhone to come out. Another few years, and we would see Skype. Bluetooth had just started. Have a I have a, a USB stick that holds 160,000 times what my original floppy disk held. And I don't even use that USB stick because it's all on my cloud now, isn't it? Google had started, but it hadn't gone public yet. You wouldn't see Google Maps for another five years. I think that there are people in here 
who would not be able to get out of this building without their Google Maps. That's how much it has impacted us, isn't it? It's crazy, isn't it? What we live with and what we thought we could not live without, we did not live without 21 years ago, right? It's terrible. You know, the worst thing, the worst thing then, seeing a worm in your apple is seeing a half worm in your apple, right? (laughs) And I won't even go and tell you about human genome project, which has all of a sudden began to figure out what is happening within our genetics and the possibility of it has to, to heal many diseases or the fact that they have isolated graphene, or the fact that they produced an artificial heart, and the advances that they've made in stem cell research and genetic editing, and and they have electric cars that actually work now. And they have cars that actually drive themselves now. And they have reusable spaceships. You fly the moon now. Before I die, maybe I have one of the things on my bucket list is to fly to the moon. You would have said in 2001, you are crazy. But these things all happened in that 21-year thing, and I've forgotten about many of them, and perhaps you have as well. So what does that mean? And so how has the church changed? Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. And it makes me... I'm not even going to get in a second. (laughs) Our church has... our, Our world has swayed. The paradigm has shifted. Have we recalibrated... To reach my generation, my people. As I, as I go, and I hope I'm not going too long here, I began to s- discover a number of years ago as I saw people come to know Jesus and I heard their testimony. Every single person, or almost every single person had this story. Well, I remember as a kid, I grew up in a Christian home. Or I had a Christian uncle or I used to go to Sunday school, that there was some type of a connection to God, that people who were coming to know Jesus over the last couple of years somehow had some type of a a connection. And I remember thinking to myself, I didn't have that connection. I kind of grew up in a pagan home. And I had a friend that loved me so much that he invited me to church. And I came to know Jesus. But for the most part, I come from a totally pagan home, and I began to ask myself, where would I have been without Jesus? I would have been following a successive line of alcoholics, and I probably would have been an alcoholic father to my three children. Who knows if I would still be married? But Jesus came in, and he changed everything. Jesus came and he changed everything in your life. And the burden I have is this. Who is going to reach 
the Mike Gordon from no Christian background at all. Who's going to reach me in this generation? And that's the challenge that we have. There's a, there's a place in India, up in the hills in India. It's called Meghalaya. And it's in northeastern India. And it's probably the most wet place in the world. There was one year they had 25 meters of rain. 25 meters of rain. Obviously, this place is in the hills. Wouldn't you say? And what happens many times is the majority of the water happens in their monsoon season. But what happens in the monsoon season is that the little, the little trickles, the little tributaries, the small little streams get so huge that you can't possibly, you can't possibly cross them safely. You can't cross them on feet. So they figure, how do we get, how do we get from one village to another? Well, we can build bridges. But it is very hard to sustain and build a wooden bridge um, with 25 meters of water, or probably less, but still lots of water. It'll just corrode, and, and it's so high up, you can't get cement and build the, the, the bridges that perhaps are necessary to build. And so what happened was one particular village got smart. What they did is they began to plant these trees. I'm trying to remember what the name of the, the tree was. Um, Oh, a strangler tree. This is a picture of a strangler tree. And when they grow up, they kind of get roots, a whole bunch of roots. And so one person had the bright idea to do this. These roots, roots grow so quickly and they're so plenteous. Let's train them. Let's coax them. Kind of cut the ones from going the one direction. And we will coax those roots from going across the river to the other side. So it takes a little while to do it, doesn't it? But that's exactly what they did. They began to grow these trees, these, these strangler trees, and they're called strangler, strangler trees because of all the roots that kind of grow up and around, and they, they begin to grow them and grow them and grow them until it reaches the other side. And then it connects with another strangler tree. And, and after a while, these roots become intertwined, and they will add stones, and they'll add mud, and you can walk across them. This one here, I believe, is about two kilometers. Two kilometers! And it's about 2,000 feet in the air. And they walk across them. You know what they call them? Living bridges. Because the vines will grow and connect like a bridge that will somehow allow the two to meet. And when we think this September, as we go ahead, I think God has called us to create these living bridges. Now, I'll tell you this, it takes a long time. It takes a long time to build trust. It takes a long time to somehow allow the influence to take place where a world that has no longer trusted us says, you know what? There's no strings attached. We, they actually love us. They actually, they actually are trying to do something that will help. And when that happens, we will have an ear to speak of the fact that there's a God that loves them, that died for them on the cross, that paid the price for their sins, that gives them life if they give absolutely everything to Jesus. I want to be a living bridge. 
my prayer is that God will make you a living bridge. Father, in Jesus' name, let's stand together. Father, in Jesus' name, I don't know where I would have been if you had not come into my heart, if you had not come and saved me and delivered me and continue to deliver me from things. I don't know where I would be. Help me to never forget who I was before you. Never ever let me get away from the fact that there are people who are living next door to us or who are rubbing shoulders with us, who are aching, who are dying, who are looking for something real. And I pray, God, that you will help us to be successful in building bridges that will change lives, that will minister to people in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, I pray for a blessing upon this congregation. I pray, Father, that this will be a season where we will see people come to know Jesus every single week. I pray, Father, that all of a sudden our ability to tell our friends about Jesus will become magnified. I pray, Father, that we will enjoy an Acts 1-8 experience which says that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth. I pray that for every person who is here whose heart beats fully for Jesus. Lord, I pray, Father, for, for any person who is here today and does not know you, that, Lord, you will just put in them just an intense desire, a conviction, Lord, to know you. I pray for every person who has, who has been sitting idly in a seat, not knowing where to get involved, that you will convict them and say, no, God, today I give it all to you. Today I passionately follow you with all of my heart. Oh, God, make us more like you. God, help us to act justly, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. It's that simple. I pray, oh, God, in Jesus' name. The altar.